One of the more intriguing oddities that our psychologized culture has fostered on our Christian communities is their way of thinking about and explaining the reasons why we do what we do. I'm speaking primarily about psychologized personality tests. I want to talk about personality tests today. You can read this article. It is a long one for a website, admittedly so. But you can read it or listen to the podcast only, but the title of both are Personality Tests are like psychological selfies. There's a problem with personality testing, and I I don't want you to feel guilty or condemned or go to places unnecessarily because you take or have taken personality tests. I've taken them too, but I want to have a, I hope to have an honest discussion about this. And if it's going to be a discussion rather than this monologue podcast, you'll need to get on our forums and and talk to us and ask questions. And I would really appreciate it if you would do that. Go to our forums and say, hey, Rick, I have a question about this podcast you did. Personality tests are like psychological selfies because it's a big issue and I've been hearing about them the entire time that I have been a believer, and it is problematic. I come from a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, and I do believe that the Bible has all that we need for life and godliness, and I do know that we have a problem when it comes to practicalizing the Bible, bringing the Bible practically to bear on our lives. There's a disconnect between what we know and how we apply it to our lives, Thus, there's a temptation to reach out to other cisterns that don't hold water like personality tests. Well, I want to talk about that. Let me take care of a little maintenance issue. Had a lady write in and she asked, hey, Rick, I would love to listen to your podcast, but uh, all you do is SoundCloud. And I don't have the SoundCloud SoundCloud app. Well, uh, that's not true. Uh, Our podcasts are everywhere not just SoundClouds. Uh, What she was referring to, I believe, is the SoundCloud bar that's in under each article where you you could go to SoundCloud if you want to. But our podcasts are on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Tuned In Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, or you can listen to our podcast right from our website. Now, if you look at the SoundCloud bar, the one that we are currently using as of this date and May of 2018, it gives you two options on that bar. It says you can listen from SoundCloud or it says you can listen from your browser, meaning if you click that button, you can listen right where you are and it won't take you anywhere. So if that's confusing to you, just look a little closer to that bar and you'll see those two options. You can listen from SoundCloud or you can listen right from the browser. You don't even have to leave our website And, of course, if you want to, you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Tuned In, Stitcher, Podbean, and you can uh, subscribe from there. What I have on my phone is I have iTunes, and so every time I post a podcast, it drops immediately or within minutes to my phone. And so I I get it uh, on my phone, and that's where I listen to it. But if you research one of our articles that's done a, a long while ago and It's not on your list on your phone, which it probably won't be if it's, we have almost a thousand podcasts. And so I know you don't have a thousand podcasts on your phone and you want to listen to it. Well, if you're looking at the article on our website, again, you can listen to it right there. Just look where it says, listen 
uh, from the browser, and you can do that. So I hope that's clear to you. If you need more direction, as always, please write, and we'll be glad to walk you through it. One other thing is, did you know that every year we reach hundreds of thousands of lives globally? This is a worldwide global ministry. This year, we will reach over one million individuals with the practical gospel of Jesus Christ. We help these people by providing practical tools and ongoing training for effective living through the written resources, audio broadcasts, equipping videos, interactive forums. The Lord is impacting lives through this ministry. Will you partner with us to help continue this fantastic gospel adventure? By the way, Kathy, thank you this week for becoming a supporting member, and thank you for your kind note to us. The rest of you can donate, or you can become a supporting member of our community by going to our website. For as little as $5 each month, you can provide practical tools for hurting souls. That's why Kathy became a member She was a hurting soul, and she was helped through this ministry, and she wanted to come along and partner with us. If you are a local church, will you support our missional endeavors around the world? Whatever you can give to help this ministry will change many lives. The title of this podcast, and don't don't even think I said, this is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. Our website is rickthomas.net. I jumped into the article so quickly I forgot to introduce myself, but you probably know who I am anyway because you've listened before. But the title of the podcast, Personality Tests, are like psychological selfies. Now, I'm not throwing the psychological test out with the bathwater. I know that in an employment environment, there are certain types of psychological testing that can be valuable. So the employer can have an idea of the kind of person that they are hiring Within a local church, you don't need them because you get to know one another and you learn one another and you have time to do that. But in an employment environment, you don't have that option. You're making quick decisions and you don't have time to learn about a a person's character, their personality, how they interact with other people. And so they circumvent the process by having these personality psychological testing. And in those situations, it can be valuable. But by and large, it's problematic for the general Christian culture when we're talking about a a discipleship context. And that's what I'm talking about here, a, a long-term ongoing discipleship context where you want to grow and to mature in Christ. Our unregenerate culture would not have made such headway with their opinions and speculations if the Christian community was not so fascinated with themselves. Ironically, Paul gave us the best news regarding who we were before Christ and now who we are post-generation, regeneration in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is a very simplistic way of, of understanding ourselves. And that's, that gets us started, that we're no longer that person anymore, that we are a new person. And we want to learn what does it mean to have an identity in Christ, to be adopted by him and to mature within that relationship, according to God's word. Now, I realize that for many believers, Paul was simplistic in his way of looking at things especially the intricacies of psychology. He said that the connection between our behaviors and our Adamic fallenness is the reason we do what we do. 
The reason you are the way you are is because there is a connection between your behaviors and your Adamic fallenness. A cursory examination of my heart, my heart motives, reveals this essential truth. Here is the essential truth. I am a selfish person, and I do selfish things. At the bottom of it all, that is who I am, and that is why I do what I do. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Think about this. The people who create these psychology tests, Paul just described them. They're futile in their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. There is ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. But our culture is head over heels in love with themselves. And because they cannot solve the fallenness problem, their fallenness problem, they have no choice. The unregenerate culture has no choice but to recycle, regurgitate, and redescribe who they are and why they do what they do. They are in darkness. They are trapped in their fallen natures with no hope of ever escaping apart from Christ. And because they reject Christ, they have to grope for nonsensical explanations of the soul. So they create, they market, and they profit from these tests. Christians should not be so easily persuaded or intrigued by their sloppy psychology, the world's sloppy psychology, which is which is why the Christian's fascination with this kind of pop psychology is mind-boggling to me. I cannot recount how many times I've heard the expression, I'm a type A personality. When Christians say this, they are merely explaining in a sanitized way why they do what they do. It has given them permission, has given some Christians permission to continue in unchristlike behavior. The term is so general that it tells me nothing about the person, to be honest with you. And to say you are choleric or you're an otter or a golden retriever, it's just as ambiguous and unhelpful. Though Christians would be appalled to think that they were excusing themselves from sinful behavior by embracing this kind of psychologized nomenclature, the truth is that they are rationalizing their former selves away. Often a response to these pop psychology approaches is along the lines of, quote, I'm so glad someone understands me. Now I know why I am this way. No, you don't. Don't you think God understands you and that he has given you his word so that you can understand you? I had a man tell me many years ago that he was a type A personality. Essentially, he was explaining why he practices the art of husbandry the way he does. And since he was pulling letters out of the alphabet to describe himself, I suggested that he pick two others. This is what I said to him. Why don't you try type JC personality? Type JC, and that's not Johnny Cash, by the way. That's Jesus Christ. Type JC is far better than type A, but he said type A in a bragging way. Now, he either did not get what I was saying or he did not want to change his behavior because he preferred type A over JC. 
and it's been well over 13 years since our encounter. And he's still predominantly type A over type JC. There are two primary reasons people buy into pop psychology nonsensical labeling of the human personality. One, we are self-absorbed, and we love to think about ourselves. That's why I titled this podcast, Personality Test, or or like psychological selfies. We're self-absorbed. We love to think about ourselves. Our zodiac signs, our temperaments, and other ways to examine our personalities intrigue us. While some call it an advance in the understanding of the soul, what it really is is a distraction from the teaching of Scripture. The second reason is that we are illiterate to varying degrees as it pertains to theology and the application of it into our lives. We do not understand the biblical categories that describe the human condition, which prohibits us from discerning our human condition from a biblical perspective. Let me share an illustration with you. I want to give you six personality traits. And if you are five out of six of these personality traits, you are a light pole Christian. You know what a light pole is? A light pole stands in my cul-de-sac. It's a pole with a light on top of it. Are you a light pole Christian? Well, let's work through it. Here are three positive traits or positive strengths of a light pole Christian. One, you're straightforward. Two, you're generally happy. Three, you stand for the truth. Here are three negative traits or weaknesses. You are stubborn. You are unrelenting. You limit your possibilities. Now, if you are five of these six traits, you are a light pole Christian. Long pause. Don't worry, you're not a light pole Christian. I just made this assessment up. This is fake. It's not real. I was sitting in my office. I was looking at the light pole in my cul-de-sac, and I drew a few metaphoric conclusions from my observations. So you see, the light pole out here is tall. That's why I said you're straightforward. That's a positive strength. You're straightforward. The lights at the top are bright, hence generally happy conclusion that I came up with. And because it's tall, I figured I'd throw in something like standing for the truth. Get it? You see where I'm going with that? So here are the positive traits again. You're straightforward. You're generally happy. There's lights on top of it. You stand for the truth. It's tall. And of course, I had to go to the negative side of the spectrum to have a balanced assessment. Stubborn and unrelenting were obvious conclusions. It's standing there and it just, it's immobile when it comes to the wind and the weather and the four seasons. The limit your possibilities, that was the third negative weakness. It was a stroke of creativeness on my part, I must add. It took an extra five minutes to come up with that one. You see, the light can only eliminate so far, illuminate so far. Now, so it limits its possibilities. It can only go so far. Now, if I have described you, Let's say that you are straightforward, you're generally happy, you stand for the truth, a little bit stubborn, unrelenting, and you limit your possibilities. Let's, let's say five, five or six of those things are you. Please know that you are not a light pole Christian. Don't go there. Stick with the Bible assessments of you. Accurate descriptors do not make biblically rational conclusions 
That's an important sentence for you to remember. It's a false continuum. God has given us all we need to know for how to live a godly life. Some Christians sincerely desire to grow, but rather than advancing their understanding of the Bible, they latch onto the culture's explanations of the soul. When they read what seems to be an accurate assessment of themselves, they attach authority to the person who provided the assessment. Why? Because he accurately described them. You see, if I described you as straightforward, generally happy, stand for the truth, stubborn, unrelenting, and you limit your possibilities, you would sit there and say, Shazam, how did you know so much about me? You accurately described me. And what will happen if you're not careful is the false continuum. Because I accurately described you, therefore you label authority to the next thing that I'm going to say. And I say that you are a light pole Christian. Based on the power of persuasion and insatiable craving to be understood, the Christian embraces the assessment and the conclusion. And that becomes her new identity as a light pole Christian. It is not a broad jump to embrace a person's conclusions if you believe they have accurately described you. That's the false continuum. And it is a false continuum that is precisely what drives the ADD, the ADHD analysis. Assessing a child subjectively for ADD, which is the only method for assessing ADD, and giving the child a conclusion based on a subjective assessment is highly questionable. I am not saying the child doesn't have a problem but I am saying that where you go to figure out the problem and the conclusion can be dangerous. Often the people who embrace pop psychology's explanations for the soul, they share their newly found wisdom in giddy ways. I've heard many people in my life who adopt this approach share their otterology is what I call it. I'm an otter. And they share it with humor and lightheartedness, and they're just tickled. That they're giddy that they have this new descriptor because it explains me. Straightforward, generally happy, stand for the truth, stubborn, unrelenting possibilities. I'm an otter. That's otterology. And I have heard this. And by becoming otters or golden retrievers or sanguines or phlegmatics or type A personalities, they unwittingly sucked the power from the gospel message. God crushed his son so we can be better than otters and light poles. These kinds of assessments are not the biblical route to a transformed life. Neither do they offer the biblical hope found in the gospel. Even worse, it places the focus more on the individual than the Christ who died for them. It's a mockery of the gospel. If you are in Christ, may I persuade you to think more like Christ? Make much of him. Make less of yourself. Do people know you as a type A personality or a Christ-centered believer? That's one way you can analyze how you think about all this. Are people more aware of the results of your personality assessment, or are they more aware of God's assessment of you? Now, the proponents who almost always, without, out, without exception, love God, they have their scriptures to support their claims. 
they don't know that there is only one point to any text. And in the entire history of the church, no biblicist has ever interpreted a text to support their exegesis. Scholars call this proof texting. This backward method of teaching the Bible is not grounded in an understanding of what the various Bible writers taught. Proof texting, simply put, is compiling a short list of text that support precisely what the person has already previously decided what he or she wants to believe. You say, this is what I believe, and then you go into the Bible to find your text to support that which almost always out of context, that's proof texting. A lack of practical understanding of the Bible and a general weakness in local church discipleship processes was what gave rise to the biblical counseling movement in the 1970s. God granted all things that pertain to life and godliness long before Freud and Jung entered the discussion. It was Freud's hatred of God that motivated him to create a new way to think about the human condition Many others have followed his path as the psychological community has evolved into the ever-changing world of DSMs, one, two, three, four, and five. Nothing can assess you better than the Bible, especially in the context of a caring discipleship community. James gives us a clue as to how we drift from the Bible when he talks about the Bible being God's mirror that we look into. We remember it for a while, and then we move on. That's what James is saying. Uh, He's saying that we tend to look, we make some mental notes by assessing ourselves and quickly forget what we saw. When we do this, we are tempted to find false cisterns that cannot transform us. A critical key to scriptural assessment is a bibliocentric community. The psychological tester unwittingly has replaced biblical community with secular testing tools. I understand this problem. If you've never had consistent biblical fellowship in the context of a caring discipleship community where people are carefully and lovingly speaking into all areas of your life, how can you know the sufficiency of Scripture? How can you experience the transformative help that God's Word brings to our lives through the community of faith? Too many Christian husbands and wives do not experience this depth of biblical community where careful, loving observation and correction is given to them to adjust them so they may mature in Christ with each other. Christian relationships can be so superficial that it leaves one longing for something else. And this desire leads the Christian community to look outside the Bible and biblical context for self-discovery. People who are willing to Love me enough to show me what I do not see about myself is a vital means of grace. A person with this kind of community positions himself for the Bible's assessment. And there is a context in place for long-term transformative growth, first within your family, then within your local church. My first introduction to personality tests was more than 30 years ago. I wanted to understand me. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I longed to understand me. I was exactly what I've been saying. I was an unregenerate pagan person in the futility of my mind, walking in darkness because of the hardness of my heart, but I wanted to be understood. I was desperate for change and weak in practical theology. I found a book that told me I was a phlegmel. That's a phlegmatic and melancholy mixture of phlegmel. Here's my melancholy joke. I got a head like a melon and a face like a collie. 
I didn't make that up, but it's really funny. There were many compelling reasons for why I wanted to know me. Let me give you five. Number one, I wanted to be understood by someone. I wanted to be understood by someone. And I've heard this mantra over and over again. Someone would call, someone would email, say, hey, I ran into this personality test and it just told me who I was. I feel so understood now. I get that. I was that way too. And I wanted to understand myself, number two. Number three, these new ways of thinking about myself, they were novel and they were appealing. They were new. It's a new cart as we had in the Old Testament. Number four, it appeared, in quotation marks, it appeared to help me. Number five, it felt right or more right than anything else I had tried. These reasons were compelling enough. Ironically, my life was not markedly better And there was continued unrest in my soul. And that's really the conclusion because these ideas don't transform. They merely explain. And if you take their explanations and you fall into this false continuum because they explain me like a light pole, I am a light pole, this is what I should do. At the end of that road, you'll not be better because only the Bible transforms. In hindsight, I see that my sanctification limitations were in proportion to my limitations in understanding biblical psychology. Then God regenerated me. But more than that, he began to teach me better psychology from the most excellent psychology book ever written. The word psychology is a compound word, psyche, logos. The word psyche means soul, and the word logos means word or the study of the psyche, study of the soul. A psychologist is a person who seeks to care for the soul. The best psychologist who ever lived was Jesus Christ. It would be wrongheaded to say that somebody knew more about the soul than the person who created it. And the most excellent psychology book ever written is the Bible. My argument for the Bible is the same as my argument for the soul. If God created the Bible, and he did, it would be wrongheaded to think there's a better book that explains us. The primary argument and the genuine problem that we have is a sufficiency of Scripture issue. This attack on God's word began in Genesis 3-6, and this issue centers mostly in an amalgamated soup of American Christian-centric biblical psychology. Amalgamated soup of American Christian-centric biblical psychology. It's a mess. Christians in other countries who do not have access to these new tests are not at a disadvantage because all they have is the Bible. These tests do not reveal reveal more about you or get to the heart of you better than the Bible does. There are no weaknesses in the Bible that makes these tests desirable. These tests plus the Bible are not what you need to fulfill the two great commandments. The Bible was never meant to be a self-help book or a testing tool. But due to a lack of discipleship, some individuals have missed the point of the Bible and have taken it to support different approaches to self-help. This presuppositional worldview marginalizes the primary purpose of the Bible, which is Christ, not you, not me. Wholeness comes through a right relationship with Christ that comes through the application of God's word into your life. It is the foolishness and weakness of the gospel that perplexes individuals while steering them toward presuppositional aspirations for self-help. Nothing will explode. Nothing will expose the realities of who you are better than practically applying the gospel to your life. Nothing will help you transform into what you should be better than appropriating the gospel to your life.
Nothing will set the trajectory of your vocational life better than applying the gospel to your life. Now, I don't want to reduce the Bible to a testing tool or a self-help book, but in this article, I have laid out a table from you from Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, to show how the Bible can expose us for who we are. I've taken all the words and all the phrases in the text and inserted the word love where Paul mentions it directly or implied. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist in its own way. There are 15 of them, and you know the passage well. And then I have a second column here where I inserted the word Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude, does not insist on his own way. And then I have a third column. And I would like for you to insert your name there. I also have a poster here that that uh, reveals this idea, and you can get the poster here from our website. But I want you to insert your name. Rick is patient. Rick is kind. Rick does not envy. Rick does not boast, etc. Let the Bible test you, test your personality. This basic test taken with humility and prayer among gospel-centered friends will give any believer a clear and sober assessment of where they are and where they need to be. Now, I have some questions and additional thoughts here at the end of this podcast, at the end of this article. If you want to get into these six questions and assessment ideas, I will appeal to you to get on the website and look for this article. Personality tests are like psychological selfies. Read it, share it, let's talk about it, ask me questions, let me serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.